children, I'd like to be, uh, you can be excused right now to children in worship and a reminder to parents that Sunday school, there's no Sunday school today, so after worship, you're going to want to go down and pick up your children. So I want to remind you to do that. We are um, in a transition point today in worship, a transition point in the reading of Scripture. Um, well, this is what happened before the reading that we're about to read. What happened before is that Jesus was going around teaching with authority, healing many, casting out evil spirits, demons, and people, the crowds, were beginning to flock to him. The disciples had been traveling with him, seeing this, and he put a question to them. Who do people say that I am? The disciples shared the different rumblings that the crowds had been playing with. And then Jesus put a direct question to them, the disciples. Who do you say that I am? Peter, who's often eager and out in front, said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the promised one is what he was saying when he said, you are the Christ. He's putting all his eggs in that basket. You are the one. And upon saying that, Jesus gave further description of what was coming, that he was actually going to go and die. This didn't sit well with Peter. Peter said, no, no, that can't be. You're wrong. No, no. And this is where Peter has made the greatest confession, you are the Christ. And in the next moment, he gets scolded by Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. Would any of us ever want to be called Satan by Jesus? In a moment, Peter identifies fully who Jesus is, and in the next moment, he's being told to move away because he's got it wrong. This morning, we're reading a passage that is difficult to understand, that we often stumble over and struggle to comprehend. But it is this passage that Mark was using to explain an incredible transition that takes place between Jesus, who is the great teacher and healer, to whom Jesus really is to us. So this morning we read what's often known as the transfiguration passage. So let's pray together and let's read it. Oh Lord, may you guide us through your word. May your spirit help us to understand. May we, O oh Lord, become who you want us to be. And may this moment be exactly as you planned it to be. All this we pray through Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. The Gospel of Mark, the ninth chapter, beginning at the second verse. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James 
and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but only Jesus. And as they were coming down, the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so this is a tough passage to understand. In our Christian faith, when we encounter people that aren't as familiar with the faith, there are um, holidays, Christmas, or, uh, Christian seasons that we're more than happy to explain why they are. We have no problem explaining Christmas if someone asks us a little bit more about what Christmas is about. We have no problem explaining Easter if someone wants to know a little bit more what is Easter, if they come from another culture or another place. We might even venture, a lot of us, to try and explain the season of Pentecost or what happened on the day of Pentecost. We might give a shot at that. Christmas and Easter, no problem. Pentecost, maybe. But the transfiguration? Anybody want to give it a shot? Explain what's going on? Matter of fact, a lot of us forget that this event even happened. Forget even how to pronounce it, transfiguration. And we have to admit, there's just a lot of confusing stuff going on. I mean, they go up on a mountain. Jesus takes just a few of them. Uh, he is suddenly changed. The word is metamorphosis. Uh, completely changed in front of them. That he's, he's just so brilliantly white. And suddenly there's two figures from the past, from the Old Testament that are there with him. Moses and Elijah. What's that all about? And Peter gets it in his head that they suddenly should be building tents or booths or doing something like that. And then, of course, to add to all that, there's this cloud and a voice from heaven that speaks to them. And it's just totally confusing. And to wrap it all up, Jesus says at the end of it all, don't tell anyone until the Son of Man rises again. That's a lot to take in. What was that all about? Let me ask you a question. If a tree falls in the woods and no one is there, does it make a sound? You've heard the question before, yes? 
the philosophical question, a tree falls in the woods and no one's there, does it make a sound? This event could have happened without us ever knowing. Except Jesus decides to bring three of the 12 along with him. Peter, James, and John. They become witnesses to this event. The crowds aren't there. The whole group of 12 aren't there. Even those who were diligently following along with the 12, kind of maybe more of like 100 or more that followed the women and so forth, none of them were there. Only Peter, James, and John. And from the moment the passage begins, you can tell their heads are spinning, trying to take it all in. But this happens so that they might witness what happened and that it might be recorded for us as well. Now, why is it important? What's going on in this event that's so significant? First off, I want to remind you, it is a transition event. It is a resetting event. One of the ways I thought might be good to look at it is, this is kind of an R&D event. You've heard of R&D, right? Research and development Research and development, there's a lot of important research and development that goes in before something comes out. This is a research and development event. We, we've got the uh, Super Bowl tonight, right? Am I right about that? Yeah, I know I'm right because of all these Lions fans that are disappointed. Super Bowl tonight, did you know that they estimate 200 million people will watch tonight? The Super Bowl since 2010 have averaged over 100 million people with two exceptions. Meaning that the commercials tonight are incredibly valuable. The value of a commercial tonight for a 30-second spot is $7 million. If you watch tonight and watch one of those commercials, 30 seconds will cost them $7 million. If that's too high a price tag for you, you could get in just a little before the game and all you have to pay is $4 million for 30 seconds. $7 million for 30 seconds. Let me put that in perspective for you. That breaks down to $233,000 for every second of a commercial. Or slightly more than the average cost of a home in the state of Michigan. Every second. You don't put that kind of dollar down unless you're going to get a return. A return for your dollar. Another R&D. A return for your dollar. There's a lot of research. There's a lot of development that goes in so that you can get the result. Research and development, or maybe a different R&D, recall and direction. Recall and direction. 
This passage is all about recall and direction. What do I mean by that? Recall. Part of our struggle with this passage is that the people who originally heard this, the people who originally read this or listened to this, would be able to immediately recall events. They would catch the hints that are flying past us that we just don't see. But in the time in which it was written, the hints would have been glaring. We would have immediately understood. We would have recalled, we would have remembered what was being alluded to here. They go up on a mountain after six days. They have an experience with God. There's a cloud. There's a voice from heaven. They would recall, they would remember all the allusions to when Moses went up on Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, depending on the tradition. They would recall that experience where God brought and gave the Ten Commandments, that God brought and gave the direction for what is to be next. That immediately would have been on the face of it. It would have been an enormous illusion. Just like when you watch a football game, you could hear an announcer say, it's like David versus Goliath. And you immediately understand what's being said and who is who. The hints are overwhelming in here. They just fly past us because we're not familiar with them. And so it seems strange to us, but there is an experience here that is overwhelming, a recall and remembrance of that glorious moment in which Moses went up before God. And just in case we're missing the hints, Moses is there. He's in the passage. He's in the experience. This is one of three different hints that are meant to help us to recall and uh, remember all those re, R-E, everything that makes us go back. R-E causes us to go back, to remember, to recall, even to redo. You know, can I have a redo on this test? It takes us back. We want to start over. It's a reset. It's that first part of R&D. This first event of a hint is this event on the mountain and recalls what Moses did and experienced. The second one is a reference to Elijah. As he's in the event, he too is there. Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah. And Elijah was this powerful messianic figure for the believers of Jesus' day. You see, because Elijah is one of those figures in the Old Testament who doesn't die. 
Instead, as we read the passage, as he's handing over the mantle to another prophet, Elisha, Elijah is suddenly carried away in a chariot of heaven and carried up into heaven. He doesn't die. He's just taken there straight away. He gets an elevator right away. He doesn't have to go through death. And there is this expectation that Elijah will come again when God is about to unfold all his plans. The Old Testament ends the very end of the Old Testament ends with a reminder about Moses and the law and then Elijah coming again. The very books of what they believe ends with this expectation that Elijah's going to come again and then God's going to reset things. You can hear that hint. There he is. He's there. Moses and Elijah. Two of the three. And then the third hint. The third hint is that reason we call it the transfiguration. That event in which Jesus himself is transformed in front of them. Metamorphosis. It's the word we use for a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, a change. And yet Jesus is changed before them. His clothes become so white that the, the, the expression is, there's no way you could make this white on earth. There's no, you know, there's different passages, fuller soap or bleach in this case, or as a child in a children's sermon once said, tons of white. It's not a white that is earthly possible. It is a white that is a heavenly white. And it becomes this incredible allusion to the expectation of the Messiah. In Daniel chapter 7, when it talks about the Son of Man, this one that would come and be given all authority and all power by God, this incredible messianic passage, there's this sense of white as the Ancient of Days is all white and takes the throne. Three powerful hints that would have hit them, each one. This incredible, wow, this is like Moses. Oh my goodness, there's Elijah, the return. And then this, and Jesus is white like only God can be. That's the recall. That's that first part of the R and D. That's the recall, the remembrance. The second part, after recall and remembrance, is the D, direction. What now? What does this mean? What do we do? Well, we looked at Peter, and Peter's response in the moment was, oh, it's good we're here. Let's, let's build some tents for you, or another translation might say, some tabernacles or some wooden booths. And, and, and that's just weird. 
right? What's that about? But we've all gone camping or been out in the hot sun and, hey, you know, let's, let's get an umbrella and put that out above you at the beach, you know, so you don't have to bake in the sun. Let's, let's, let's build a little bit of a hospitable reality here so that that conversation you're having, it's, it's meant to be in many ways an honoring of the moment. Some commentators like to say, well, Peter was just trying to stay in the moment and let's build real booths and we'll just stay here. No. More than likely, he's just so taken by what's happening. Moses and Elijah and Jesus all in the same place. How can we honor you? How can we care for you? He has no idea how long this will last or won't last. And it says, after all, he didn't know what to do. They were terrified. They were, uh, what would you do if suddenly people from the past showed up? What would you do if you suddenly realized that Jesus truly is the Son of God, like you've just said moments before, and then were chastised for not understanding the plan? What would you do? The truth of the matter is we all struggle once we understand that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of our lives. There's this incredible, what now? What do I do? Who am I to be? Direction. And that's what's powerful about this passage. On one hand, we have them coming down after the mountain afterwards and Jesus saying, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. In other words, it's not the time to reveal who he is to everyone. Save that. Tuck this away. You did hear the tree fall in the woods. There'll be a time to tell. But there's that more immediate moment that God speaks out of the cloud and says, this is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. In other words, do what he says. Stay on the path that he's on. Remember, they identified him as the Messiah, but they didn't like what that meant. What Jesus was saying, that he was going to go and die. They didn't like that. That didn't fit. Listen to him. And then there's an enormously powerful moment when suddenly, it says in the text, suddenly, and it's not Mark's typical immediately, it's suddenly they look around and no one's there, only Jesus. Only Jesus. Everything else is gone. Only Jesus. That in itself is a powerful statement for our direction. Only Jesus. That word only 
manos in Greek, manos. From where we get that word mano, one, only, only Jesus. Moses, how great and wonderful he is, he's gone. Elijah, so wonderful, he was taken up to heaven, didn't even have to die, he's gone. Only Jesus. Listen to him. So often we want to make Jesus into who we think Jesus should be. But the call of this moment is to reset the disciples for the journey that's now going to come and Mark's going to record through the rest of his gospel. A journey in which he will still be teaching and he will still be healing and casting out demons, but now there is going to be this force coming against him that will eventually take his life. And that is part of the plan. Because the true love of God is shown and that he gave his life for us. His true love wasn't shown in all the wonderful teaching. His true love wasn't shown in all the great healing. His true love was shown that he gave his only son for you. And the direction he now calls for each one of us is only Jesus. That Jesus is first. And who was Jesus? He's someone who came and loved those who didn't love him. He's someone who came to a world that rejected him. The very creation rejected the creator. He's someone who forgave when no one else would forgive. He's someone who hung on the cross and how delightful it is to finally have the cross back up. And thank you, Jim, for all the wonderful lighting and Jeff and all the hard work that's gone into this. How fitting to have this on a baptism day. Only Jesus. When he hung on that cross, what did he say besides, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says concerning us, Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Only Jesus. He calls us to forgive because he forgave. He calls us to live in grace because he gave us grace. And we have a whole line of, yeah, but what about all behind? And all of that is to be shoved away. Only Jesus. The transfiguration was a reset, a recall, a redirection, a remembering to give us direction, to help us refocus about who we are to be about. It's all about Jesus in every way. And in a moment, he was changed so we could see who he truly was, who he truly is, and who he shall always be.
only Jesus. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. Your gracious teaching of us who struggle at times to understand. The reminding that we need as we often know who we are to be and who you are, but over the course of a week, forget. Thank you once again for the chance to be reset, recalibrated, to remember once again that it's all about you. We pray that we might be realigned with you, O Lord. And where we fall, that we would fall once again on your grace and forgiveness. And remember, it's not what we've done. It's in every way all about what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. A reminder to those who were unable to be here for communion last week that we'll have communion in the conference room following worship. And now, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forevermore. Amen.